so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. I mean, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to the Animal Voices Radio Show, Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio CFRO in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on unceded Coast Salish territories. Today is Friday, January the 31st, 2020. I am your host, Allison Cole, and I am joined here today by my guest co-host, Leah Thompson. Hello, Leah. Hello, Allison. So for our first segment for today's show, we're going to be speaking about the content of an upcoming workshop that our guest co-host, Leah, here will be co-presenting at the University of British Columbia in a couple of weeks. It's called LGBTQ2SIA+ plus allyship and animal liberation. I'm so interested in hearing more from Leah on these topics of how oppressions intersect and how we all need to work together to beat these oppressions because if and when others are oppressed, no one can be free. Then for our feature interview, you may have heard in the news this week about a group of over 150 animal advocates in the UK who stormed a free-range egg factory farm in East Sussex and documented so many images and video of blatant neglect and animal cruelty that is happening on this farm with over 31,000 chickens. 50 of the hens were rescued and the RSPCA immediately suspended the license of this facility. But it doesn't end there. For today's feature interview, we will have UK activist Jake from Direct Action Everywhere Brighton, who was part of this action, to tell us all about it. That interview is coming up in about 32 minutes, so please do stay tuned. Now, this week, Animal Voices co-presented with Vancouver Chicken Save and Naked Coconuts and the Vancouver uh, Vegan Resource Centre, a film that we've been promoting for about the last month, and it's called The Animal People, and I had seen it myself, and I know, Leah, you had already seen it. Uh, I was occupied at another job, unfortunately, this week because we had to reschedule due to the snowstorm. So I wasn't able to make it down to to be there for our part of our hosting the event. Uh, that was this Wednesday. But, Leah, you made it to, because you wanted to see the Q&A session with, uh, with, on Skype with Jake Conroy, who we had on the show a couple weeks ago, who is one of the main protagonists of this film, The Animal People, which goes to show, um, it, t- it takes you through the, the journey of who was called the Shack Seven, a group of uh, advocates or animal activists for a campaign called Stop Huntington Animal Cruelty that was global. It was worldwide, but the core of it was based in Seattle, and Jake Conroy was part of the organizing team, and he took the hit Uh, and his fellow other six people who took the hit for basically actions that were committed globally even though it wasn't even him or who were actually doing the things that he was charged with so he's out of prison now has been for a while can't travel to Canada so he traveled to us by Skype and uh, and he has a persona online called the cranky vegan which you might know him as on YouTube and on Facebook and Instagram and he spends uh, every Thursday he spends three minutes or more basically giving his input on various topics within the animal rights movement and how he feels like having had all this experience from the 90s and the early 2000s before going to prison and just campaigning and campaigning on and so he gives it his advice on how people are doing now in campaigning and what he thinks of just different parts of the veganism coming into the movement and becoming so mainstream so we had him for a Q&A how did that go did with the Skype Leah and I'm curious to know what kinds of questions were asked mm-hmm. it went really well yeah it, it was really nice to see him on the screen we asked him about you know what he thought about strategies and how mm-hmm. we can start strategizing who you go to if you want to start a um a campaign against a, a company like who is it that you would target first finding out who um is running things really mm-hmm. 
And this applies to any social justice campaign. Yeah. This one particularly was to stop this horrible pharmaceutical lab and uh, and to stop them from these horrible experiments that they were committing on animals in mm -hmm. order for pharmaceutical t testing. Unfortunately, the one in the States did not get shut down, mm -hmm. and they completely renamed themselves, new identity, same cruelty. But I think I learned a lot from that film just on how the campaigning was done, and we're seeing that today, actually, where I guess, um, let me think, you know, like sponsors of certain events and that and campaigns that we deem to be cruel to animals, like the Rib Fest in Kelowna, a lot of their sponsors dropped out because of animal advocate campaigning towards them this summer. And so there's action in activism. So what else? So something he shared with us was that there's a lot that led up to the Shack campaign that right. was in the U.S. So, you know, they started out in the U.K., like closing down breeding facilities for dogs and rabbits and like winning all these small campaigns and so that helped them build up to be doing this larger campaign so although it might seem like it's a lot to take on at first to just say oh we're going to shut down one of the largest laboratories in the world they they started a lot smaller so he encouraged us to start taking on smaller campaigns that we think we actually can win before we can build up to those larger ones. That makes total sense to mm -hmm. me. So there's just one final question. Uh, I'm wondering what the feedback, like I was really pumping up and promoting this film on the radio show and everywhere mm -hmm. else on social media as saying it's a must-see film for everyone who is, who is living under a government. That's all of us, right? It's not just an, it's not an specifically animal rights film. It's a film about corporations and governments and how they can get away literally with murder and, mm -hmm. and use these young people who are in their 20s as scapegoats for basically the side of the right, the side who was trying to do better for society and for the planet and for the earth and for the people, but not better for the pharmaceutical industry which, I mean, that's corrupt. So if you're in some kind of social justice cause, or even if you're not actively participating, you would think that the average common person cares, right? Cares about these issues. And, uh, and you can still see this film. It's on iTunes, and I think it's on, it's either on Amazon or Google Play, but go to iTunes for sure. You can rent it there and even uh, buy a copy. It's called The Animal People. It's executive produced by Joaquin Phoenix, so he put his money behind it because it's an important film to see. Any last words about your experience at the Animal People film screening? Um, yeah, it was really great. I'm really happy so many people came out to watch it. Good. And other people asked questions too, so. Awesome. Wish I had been there. Yeah. So moving on, I've got some sort of progressive news here because last week, on last week's show, we talked about how Starbucks, also a worldwide corporation, I believe, we talked about how they are moving towards more plant-based alternatives for their milks because they have like this environmental plan now on how they want to be more environmental stewards for the planet, which I think is sort of ironic given all the garbage that they produce, but we were really shocked to hear last week that they're um, I hope this means that they're not going to be charging the the surcharge for the plant milks. I bet that has reversed itself now since they're now trying to actually promote for people to drink their plant-based milks with their coffee or their lattes and that. So that's good. So moving on, this week Starbucks confirmed that a, a lot of activists and campaigners have been asking for this for a long time because they virtually have nothing plant-based there to eat as in the past. So um, they confirmed... It was this week that a plant-based breakfast sandwich is also scheduled to debut this year. And so usually when stuff like this happens, it's just in the U.S. first, as we here in Canada know. And, we're, and we, have, um, we have bleeding hearts here because it never happens in Canada first. But they made, they made an announcement this week saying that um, they're going to be introducing a breakfast sandwich this year with a plant-based patty, both in the U.S. and Canada. And the Starbucks chief operating officer, Rosalind Brewer, said that they haven't announced yet what scent, like what alternative meat it's going to be. But you know, everyone's like bringing out the Beyond Meat now, right? Beyond sausage and the Beyond Beef Burger because it's so delicious. I actually, I had some in my freezer this week that a friend had given me and I broke it out and I made it. I had never actually cooked a Beyond Burger before myself. I've had the ones from A&W and other places before. Those burgers are super popular. And now they're coming into Starbucks, which you 
could you could argue is one of you know this it is a huge corporation in our world and they have the power to bring veganism to the forefront i hope you see it that way too like you know i don't go to starbucks like rarely because i i'm not a coffee drinker i don't like their disposables and they never have anything for me to eat <laughs> except for except for justin's peanut butter cups but i feel like this now just like a and w too when they have their coupon sales and that and i'm sort of like in a pinch and i'm really craving something that's cheap but also plant-based and i ask them to cook their patties on a clean grill by the way i feel like this is really going to draw me more perhaps just even to support a company that is trying how do you feel about that leah are you in the same camp as me like no <laughs> no so so what's your opinion on yeah. on these large companies and fast food places and chain restaurants bringing out more vegan options i mean i think like you serve as a good example for what i think is happening which is that people who weren't going to Starbucks before because they didn't have options and because they create a lot of waste are now saying, oh, I want to go to Starbucks because now they have a vegan option. And I, I don't think Starbucks actually cares about being environmentally friendly or... You know what? They have an environmental long-term plan now. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. know. I don't know. Like I, But if I, they actually yeah. did, like they would just stop selling coffee in like plastic cups, you know? I think they're going to go that way because they've stopped, um, they've stopped in... Canada or Vancouver at least they're not they're no longer offering straws right they didn't when I was in Hawaii they were by the way they had plastic straws so that's not globally Uh, I feel like the next step and they're just not making it public they wrote down that they have a long-term environmental plan what if we see them like they're making these steps like going towards plant-based dairy now that's a huge step because before they were actually taxing people who wanted to use their Mm plant-based milk options um I feel I feel like we don't know because we don't work at Starbucks. We don't know necessarily of what's coming up. I feel that moving towards the non-disposable cups is coming because what else can they do next, right? That's what they need to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I don't think they're yeah. doing it because they want to. I think they're yeah. doing it because that's what people want and it's going to yeah. make the money. Like it's, de- it's well, demand. Well, they want to make money. Yeah. So they're, and as you said, supply and demand. So therefore they mm-hmm. want to. They're a business, right? Right, yeah. but I don't think I don't think it's true to say that Starbucks mm-hmm. is like an environmentally friendly corporation. I don't know no. if any corporations are environmentally friendly. Yeah, I didn't friendly. I didn't say that. I just said that they have an environmental plan to try to be more environmentally friendly. So they already exist. They're not just going to shut down because um, oh, we're not very environmentally friendly. No, they're a business and they're motivated to make money, right? So they're making changes as an already existing business. As for new businesses coming up. We're seeing like these zero waste businesses slowly popping up, right? Which I think is amazing. It's to me, it's more on a on a higher scale than I would have guessed or would have thought because I didn't, I had hadn't really realized that zero waste is becoming. Um, it's not just in Vancouver where we have this little movement, which is where I've learned about it myself, but it's actually worldwide. And I think, of course, new businesses need to grasp more zero waste. And um, for the existing ones that are, you know, the existing ones that are here already, like Starbucks, they're going to see that they're going to need to catch up mm-hmm. with what the new businesses are coming up with. Okay, so I I want to talk briefly about something that has to do with our feature interview. So we're going to be speaking about free-range egg factory farms, as was in the news this week in the UK, in East Sussex. I've been told that that's by near London. So in case people who are listening don't know, just people who are listening at work or in their car or whatever... Um, this, is of, this is often a fact that I tell people while I'm doing street outreach that they don't understand and why I, a uh, primary reason why I don't support the egg industry and thus don't eat eggs is because what happens to the baby male chicks in this process because only females are of use to uh, the egg industry. So even if you're thinking that um, the eggs I buy are organic, they're, um, they're, red, they're I don't know, they're, they're raised in open pastures, they're raised free range or free run or any of those keywords that sort of draw people in to think that they're doing something good when they're consuming these eggs, even if that's the case and you're okay with that, are you okay with the fact that all what all one day born chicks that are born into hatcheries, they're all separated from female and male genders and the males don't have it 
that great. I, I don't know if they have it better than the females because they neither gender has it that great. But the males, what happens to them is that they're shredded in a grinder um, most often on their first day. And it's a horrible sight. I'm sure you've seen images of that, right? We, we show it when we're doing... Um, video outreach at Cubes of Truth downtown, you might see that. And people, when I show that to people, people are shocked. They don't realize that that is what happens to these animals at age one day old. And that's reason enough for me, with notwithstanding the organic or free range or free run aspect that you might jump to next, is all all baby chicks start in the hatcheries and half of them are immediately either blended into a macerator which you can look that up online or they're um i've seen them loaded into dumpsters into large uh garbage bags where they're suffocated to death or just left there to die so news this week francis said it will ban the controversial but widespread practices of live shredding male chicks and castrating piglets without anesthesia in a move cautiously welcomed by animal welfare activists some seven billion male chicks unwanted because they provide neither meat nor eggs are called around the world every year Many are ground up alive, others are gassed, electrocuted, or asphyxiated in plastic bags. So this is an article from The Guardian that I'm reading from. So France will be one of the first countries to ban the mass culling of chicks using any of these methods starting next year. From the end of 2021, nothing will be like it was before, Agriculture Minister Didier Guillaume said on Tuesday in Paris as he announced the measure long demanded by campaigners. So... This is one one step. Of course, there's there's we don't we don't stop here, which is why we have a feature interview about how these animals, these beautiful beings, I should say, are treated in farms that are supposedly humane. So moving on from that, you know, I think um, I think we should play the song later. You want to play the song later at the end? Because let's go into your segment, Mm -hmm. Leah. So. so you have an event that I just that you just invited to me invited me to your event last night mm-hmm. and I first met you during a sort of similar workshop that you had put on um, but you're going deeper so let's hear about this workshop that you're putting on at UBC in a couple of weeks I think it is yes um, the workshop is going to be in a week and a half on Tuesday February 11th so I'll just read quickly the event description. Sure. It's called LGBTQ2SIA plus allyship and animal liberation. This event will feature a PowerPoint presentation briefly outlining some basic terms and definitions within the LGBTQ2SIA plus umbrella, as well as describe AFCO's multidimensional liberation theory and consistent anti-oppression as frameworks for anti-speciesist and LGBTQ2SIA plus activism. This workshop will engage attendees in conversations about these theories and frameworks, as well as provide examples of queer activists and leaders in the animal rights movement. We will break into smaller groups and read or otherwise absorb the work of these queer anti-species activists, which we can be inspired by and start to have conversations in our diverse communities about consistent anti-oppression. So you'll be co-presenting. Can I ask who you're co-presenting yes, with? Yes, um, my friend Grace, who is also a co-guest host oh, of Animal nice. Voices Show. Nice. She's going to be helping me just get everything mm-hmm. going smoothly. And can you remind us what you're studying at UBC? Because it's uh, the University of British Columbia where you're yes. an undergrad student. Because that, that is part of how you qualify, I guess, to do this talk. Yeah, um, another long acronym, GRSJ, Gender, Race, Sexuality, mm-hmm. and Social Justice. And that's amazing because when I was at that school 25 years ago, we only had, you could do a degree in women's studies. Mm-hmm. And there was, I, I always thought there were maybe about 20 people in that program, being such a large university that it was. Yeah. And I'm so happy that it has transformed and progressed to what you're doing now. I was surprised to hear that when you told me when I first met you. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Okay, so can you start by, um, we're going we're gonna to talk about some of the key points that will be covered just in the short sure. time now. Then, so that you can learn more about what will be covered at this workshop. I know you said that it's going to be workshop formatted, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, but when I spoke about before, so you're speaking about you're going to speak about leaders in the animal rights movement, yeah. and and do you want to give us an example of who yeah, some sure, of those are that you're going to speak about? And I know one know. of them is Afco, who we had on the show late last year. Um, 
Afco is not one of the people okay. who is like a part of the. I'm not sure if Af mm-hmm. is queer or not, um, but or part of the LGBTQ okay. community. But there are um, a few people who we okay. will be like reading either a poem of theirs, watching a short speech, um, going looking at their website, looking at a blog post. So some of the people we have, we're going to be um, looking at are Alice Walker, Patrice Jones. Phoenix Lee, Christopher Sebastian, and Leah Kurtz. Oh, cool. We had Christopher Sebastian on the show cool. about a year and a bit ago. And can you speak a little bit about just, he's a really great speaker, mm-hmm. but um, you're probably more up to date with with than I am on who he is and what, he, what message he speaks on. Yeah, so Christopher Sebastian, I'm not sure. It's either Columbia or NYU. I don't want to get it wrong, but um, he's a lecturer. Yes there and he has a blog i'm not sure again what it's called it might just be christopher sebastian's blog but he talks a lot about um race and sexuality and animal liberation and all these topics in between and yeah he's just a wonderful speaker and thinker Mm -hmm. and he is also part of the vgn news team Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know that. Do you, can you describe what that is? Because it's something that I've only just acquainted myself with recently. So it's yeah. a media and news company. Mm-hmm. Let's see. It's just I think it's just online. It's just on Facebook, and they have like little pop ups all around the world. So I think they were at like the VGN team was at uh, one of the UK Veg Fest and. Okay, so it's just like a, a media outlet for mm-hmm. vegan news. Cool. And then Patrice Jones, I really, yes. I really uh, love Patrice Jones as mm-hmm. well. I've seen them speak quite a few times at um, AR conferences. Yeah. Were you? The, did yeah. You I, so I used to go yeah. to school in Vermont, yeah. and Patrice's right. sanctuary, Vine Sanctuary, Vine Sanctuary, is in Springfield, Vermont. So I've been mm-hmm. there twice. Nice. And she came to speak at the school I was at. And, um, yeah, I love Patrice. (laughs) I like her because she's very authoritative because she's been in this for a long time. She knows what she's speaking about and, and you just listen to her. She makes so much sense. Mm. Uh, what can you tell us a little bit about what you've conveyed from her messages before when she's talked in the past? She's a, she's a great advocate for, um, for queer people and and animal liberation because she runs an animal sanctuary. Yeah, so Patrice has inspired me a lot. Um, When I first heard, she came to my school and spoke for two hours. We had a two-hour gap, and she spoke for the whole time. And she the speech was just called What I've Learned. And so she told us about her history in in different social justice movements, um, like being bullied as a young... Um, Mm -hmm. LGBTQ person and then being involved in anti-racist work and um, being a teacher, a a professor and then starting her own sanctuary I think the sanctuary started in Maryland it was just a bird sanctuary and then they moved up to Vermont and it's grown there's now over 700 rescued farmed animals at the sanctuary in Vermont and so she's she's a great speaker but the other great thing that she does is um at the AR conference that we were at this summer. Animal Rights National Conference. Yeah, the National Animal Rights Conference. Mm -hmm. She um, really likes to listen to the audience and have everything be more collaborative. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm trying to do with this next workshop because the last one was a lot of lecturing and here's some terms and definitions, but it wasn't as much, what do you think about this and how how are you going to be an ally? Yeah. So that's what I want to focus. This workshop is going to be how can you be an ally? If you're in the animal rights movement, how can you be an ally for LGBTQ people? If you're in the LGBTQ community, how can you be an ally for non-human animals? Or if you're in neither community and you want to be involved, like how can you be an ally in these communities? So how can you be an ally? Because oh. I, I, I'm not in the LGBT community, but... I feel like I'm very much an ally because a lot of people who fit within that community are friends of mine and and you know I I just feel like you know we're we're both like both causes are very open-minded for one thing and we try to understand I hope I feel like we all try to understand where others are coming from as well because because like animal rights is such I don't know, you just really, um, you have to be super open-minded to get to the place where you're realizing that all oppressions are equal and that human liberation equals animal liberation, right? Mm -hmm. So 
I get, but from I want to hear from you. How can we be an ally? So say, um, say you are an animal advocate, but you don't fit into the LGBTQ community. What are your suggestions? So something that I had brought up in the last workshop, and I'll be mm-hmm. bringing up in this one, is like these theories and frameworks about being consistently anti-oppressive. Yes. So what that means is like regardless of which communities you fall into, trying to take the stand of the oppressed person. So it's not enough to just say, you know, homophobia is wrong. Like you have to actively stand up against it. So if you hear somebody use a slur or make a joke about LGBTQ people, you should stand up and say, hey, that wasn't funny. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, that's really harmful when you say that or you shouldn't use that word. Yeah, Just like, you know, the same for to be an anti-racist ally. I do do that. So flipping over, say you do fit into the LGBT Mm -hmm. community, but not necessarily into animal rights. Mm -hmm. How can they be an ally to the AR? Well, I mean, all of us are allies to the non-humans. None of us are oppressed by human supremacy. I mean, okay, that's not actually true. Some humans are um, also oppressed by human supremacy that's very complicated but um in general like we're all allies to the animals who are being um killed at a mass scale right now so we all need to be thinking about that even people in the animal liberation movement well i'm speaking about people in other social justice movements for example who aren't vegan right well Uh, a way to be an ally in the animal liberation movement for other animals is to be vegan Mm -hmm. and to be vegan is to not consume animals as as best as you can right so some people say oh I just can't like because of my life well you have to do your best you know that's what being an ally is yeah and the animal rights movement is the only movement that is completely made up of allies people might not realize that's not true because the animals are fighting for their own liberation too sure well said (laughs) well said yeah yeah, you're right. And and that brings us down to we're all we're all animals. Mm-hmm. I really want people to realize that when I went to Hawaii a few weeks ago, I was mentioning on the show last week. I did you see the little dog outside by the way when you came in? No. Oh, there was a little doggy in a dog bed just outside the oh. station inside. And oh. I forgot to go out to spend some time with him or her <laughs> because they're really cute. Mm. Anyways, um, speaking of that, every time, at, so going back to that, when I went to Hawaii, there's so much wildlife there that I just, I just feel like I am an ally. Like I feel mm-hmm. like we're the same. That's how I feel as an animal advocate and as a vegan and as someone who I just feel so deeply connected to non-human animals, mm-hmm. to human animals too, of course, yeah. but maybe more so to non-human animals because we have this unspoken language. Like you don't have to communicate in English mm-hmm. to um, basically to feel that you are an ally with someone. You know, when I when I look when I observe fish who are underwater, I feel like, wow, like I'm, you know, we're all together here in this ocean and we're all just doing our thing. We're not bothering each other. We're just living our lives. And I think that's the most beautiful thing that can, can come out of allyship and, and just like just being, being at one with humanity and, and not having these boundaries where this group is being oppressed and this group is being oppressed. We all need to learn to work in harmony better, mm-hmm. right? Any last words before we move on to events? Um, I guess so I can give a little bit more detail about the event, like specifics. Sure, I'll just, uh, we are officially moving into events while I go make a phone call, right? Oh, okay, we're at, oh right, we're at events, so I'll do that then, yeah. Go for it. So, some other events first. This coming Tuesday, February 4th, UBC Vegans will be hosting an event with local naturopath Matt Nagra focusing on an evidence-based look at plant-based nutrition. This event will take place at UBC in Buchanan, B213, from 6 to 8 p.m. Refreshments will be provided. On Wednesday, February 5th, there will be a panel on transformative justice at UBC focusing on reconciliation and what it means in a Canadian context and whether it is, I- it is the ideal framework for making positive change. This event will take place at the Coach House at Green College from six- 5 to 6.30 p.m. And on February 11th from 6 to 8 p.m., myself and other Animal Voices guest co-host Grace will be co-facilitating a workshop exploring the interconnectedness of the LGBTQ2SIA plus community and the animal liberation movement. 
This event will take place in the Social Justice Institute on the 10th floor of Buchanan Tower at UBC. This is a wheelchair accessible space and there will be free pizza from Virtuous Pie. If you have any events that you'd like us to announce, please contact us through radioanimalvoices at gmail.com or Animal Voices Vancouver on Facebook. So let's talk a little bit more. Did you give the details more about the... Yeah, um, it's just that there's yeah. going to be free pizza at the event from Virtuous oh, right, Pie. Oh, Virtuous Pie. I read yeah. that. I'm going. <laughs> I told you I had cleared my schedule, so um, that's, that's awesome. So and gluten, gluten-free um, options mm-hmm. as well. And I wonder how you hooked that up, Leah. Well, <laughs> I just dropped the call, so I need to phone okay. again. So we're just going to, do you have um, any other events that you want to speak about? I'm just thinking, talk about the AR conference coming up. Oh, okay, yeah. sure. And then, uh, and then we'll be back on the air. Okay. So the um, Animal Rights National Conference is, happens annually in the United States and it switches back and forth every year between the East Coast and the West Coast. So last summer uh, happened in the end of July in Washington DC and this year will be happening in earlier in July in Portland, Oregon. So what happens usually at this conference is about four days long and you come in and there's a little plenary opening speech and then throughout each day there's different workshops and usually a plenary every morning and every evening where everyone will come together. It's an awesome experience and I recommend that if you're living in the lower mainland and you're an animal advocate and you want to be educated and do networking and make really interesting friends and connections, you should go because you can you can take the train there even or or the bus carpool or carpool exactly so thank you for uh for our events there and we're just gonna i'm just gonna tell everyone you're listening to co-op radio here on 100.5 fm cfro on unceded coast salish territories and this is the animal voices show On today's show, we welcome Jake, a member of the Animal Advocacy Group, Direct Action Everywhere, located in Brighton, England. You may have heard this week that on Monday, over 150 activists from DXC Brighton marched onto Hode's Farm, a farm for free-range egg production, and occupied the chicken enclosure wearing protective gear. Police arrived soon after but didn't interfere, and the activists later carried out 50 hens to their safety, wishing they could have rescued the 31,000 more who were left in the facility living in some of the poorest and cruel conditions imaginable. Jake was one of the activists at this action on Monday and is here to tell us more about it. Welcome, Jake, to the Animal Voices show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yes. Well, thanks for coming on the show today to explain to our listeners exactly what really went down at the Hodes Egg Farm this Monday, January 27th, near East Sussex in the United Kingdom. You know, we've been seeing the media across here in Canada, and it's all it's all pretty much mainstream media. We want to get the real story from you. So I know that prior to this farm raid, there had been six months of undercover investigations at the farm documenting the conditions that these thousands of chickens were living in as so-called free-range animals. Can you tell us about the prior investigation and what was found during this investigation? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, it was a six-month investigation. So obviously a lot of time and effort went into uh, making sure that this was a good facility or a facility which... uh, the investigation would be successful. And what, what they found, as you might be able to see from the footage, um, what especially stood out to me was the decomposing bodies of the chickens uh, right next to the living chickens, obviously showing that they weren't routinely checked um, or mm. removing their dead bodies uh, in the first place. So there was just, uh, I mean, part of that, you could, obviously the eggs would be brushing past the decomposing bodies as well, and it's illegal in the UK to actually wash eggs. Those eggs are going straight through decomposing bodies and then onto the egg sorting line, which is then going onto the supermarket shelves, which is obviously a massive health hazard. But um, obviously, as well, uh, we're seeing, or you can see, there's uh, piles of dead bodies which were just chucked at the end of the barn, and these were just left to decompose. There were bags full of just bones where the flesh had literally 
just disintegrated away. And it, this was in the same area as the, the 32,000 hens. They were having to breathe in this air, and that's why there were so many dead bodies, which you could see in the, the footage. And uh, the footage as well showed uh, a lot of the chickens had been there about or up to 30 months or so. And uh, as you can see, it was really quite horrifying. There was a lot of feathers missing. There was a, a, a lot of skinless chickens you could see um there was a lot of cloacres which were mm -hmm. uh, extremely damaged and bleeding um around the actual egg sorting line there was basically a swimming pool of putrid egg liquid from where eggs had just come off the line and they were just left there they weren't cleaned at all and this is in the room right next to all the chickens and you could also notice the lack of floor space or how little space these chickens had it, it was effectively just a showcase of what is the symptom of uh speciesism to the point where the condition of the chickens matters so little and it is yeah just a symptom of uh, how far the exploitation has gone of animals it sounds similar to my experience at the meet the victims canada action last year it was april 28th and what you're describing to me yeah that's sort of what we that was discovered as well a lot of dead bodies that hadn't been um, picked up but then when they knew that the SPCA was coming to inspect they cleaned up a lot and what we found were all the dead pigs in the dumpsters so so what you know I, I, I feel like what my experience was might have been similar to your experience being on the farm on Monday and I would like you to describe that to our listeners so this Monday morning you along with 150 animal advocates stormed onto the property of the Hodes farm. Can you please describe your personal experience on what transpired exactly at this time and what were the sights and smells that you experienced? Of course. So uh, when we first accessed uh, the farm, the first thing I noticed was the sound and this was completely separate. We hadn't gone into the room at all, but it was a, you could tell there was a huge amount of uh, life behind or wherever the barn was and um, so the sound was quite deafening even though the door wasn't even open and, and we were confronted with the egg sorting machine which had this putrid mess around it there was eggs and blood kind of just strewn across and it was a pretty gruesome sight but it's not something I really focused on I, I was kind of there for one reason that was for the animals so I wanted to get to where they were so uh, we went through and uh, effectively into the big barn. So this one particular barn had 16,000 uh, chickens in. And as soon as we opened the door, the air was thick with, it was almost like a brown air where the point where straight away breathing got a little bit harder, where it was so thick. You could see particles flying around the air. Of course, we had our torches on. So these were um, very clear. You can see in the footage, um, kind of reflecting off of the lights. And the sound was deafening. And that's something that stayed with me for the rest of the day, even hours after I'd left the farm. It was almost like a tinnitus where I could just hear the clucking and the distressed sound of those hens, those poor mothers, uh, for the rest of the day um, until I went to sleep. Um, the, they were kept in cages, even though it's cage-free and free-range, there's always some form of confinement. So they're actually kept in, which is actually chicken wire, um, and separating separate enclosures. So there's one main structure in the middle, which had uh, about three layers of perches, and all of the chickens, so 16,000 chickens, were focused around there. They weren't really strolling around in the little bit of open space around this. Um, they were struggling for space on the perches. Uh, they were pecking at each other, I assume just from pure boredom, because there was nothing to do there. The only form of entertainment were some uh, egg cartons, which they'd hung up as enrichments. That, that was all there was. Um, and, yeah, they were obviously very scared when we first went in. They Obviously, their contact with humans hadn't been positive. They shied away. They ran to the other end of the cages. So... That, that was kind of the, the first uh, part of it. And then we kind of explored around. Uh, we further saw um, the pile of dead bodies at the end, which was decomposing bodies. And that, that was quite horrifying. At first, it was just one or two that I thought were those. And then there was a big pile of almost ash and dust, which I just thought was a pile of like, that had been broomed together. And what it actually was was a, a massive pile of 100 to maybe 300 bodies, which were just piled on top of each other and they were decomposing. And because of the thick dust and the uh, feces that were in the air, and everything else, it kind of just almost made it, you just couldn't work out really that it was bodies, but you could see bones sticking out, which kind of 
uh, gave that away. There were putrefied, rotting bodies with eggs still in them, covered around pus and blood. There were empty body, or there were bags full of blooded um, and clean bones. So they'd obviously been there a long time to the point where it was just bones of these chickens. Um, and that was just in the first barn. There was uh, another door. We went to another barn, and it was actually worse. And there was bigger piles of bodies. So even though they advertised having 32,000, I imagine just in the piles of bodies I saw, there was probably no more than 31,000 actually living in there at the time. And there were hens walking around in with injured legs. Um, some couldn't move at all. Um, and there were, luckily, there was three, three injured ones who actually managed to get out of there as well. Um, so um, we, we occupied the farm. What was uh, quite interesting is the chickens actually came towards us. So at first, they didn't want anything to do with us they were a bit frightened but it took only a couple of hours before they were literally running around us and playing with us and we uh, activists were able to kind of lift their hands up with chickens on and i remember lying there surrounded by chickens everywhere and it was just so comfortable with our presence and it just goes to show that i know a lot of the headlines what the farm's been saying is that we came in there distressing chickens they're actually very calm um around us mm-hmm. and, and that was part of the reason why we were uh, allowed to be in there for so long um, there was a farmer that, that kind of discovered us, and his initial um, kind of reaction was obviously he was quite shocked. It's not the usual thing you see in the day. Um, and he ended up calling the police, and then from there, it was amazing work of the uh, peace negotiators uh, the on team, which then set out our demands, which were um, first to uh, have media coverage and then to also. Um, uh, yeah, for us to be able to liberate a certain amount of lives. So we actually ended up liberating 51 uh, chickens in the end. Um, but this was quite hard. Um, the police put a little bit of a barrier to the point where farmers did want to release um, the chickens, but the police were actually preventing that, and that kind of meant we were in there for a few more hours while we just picked around that, really. The RSPCA were called initially when we went in, and... Actually, quite quickly, within a few hours, they picked up online that they had suspended their RSPCA assurance yes. uh, off the farm. Um, uh, but no, no inspector ever arrived. And it was actually while the police were there that they started cleaning up the piles of the dead bodies the farm did. Um, but the police still were able to get footage of uh, the body, some bodies that they'd missed out as well. So by the time the RSPCA got there, whenever that was, uh, I imagine that, that what well, the farm would have been cleared out. So... I don't know exactly what their footage would have shown or what their investigation shows was far, but I'm aware they said there was no problem uh, and the chickens were in good condition. And they they, they were relatively... Um, the, the investigation footage showed hens that had been there for 13 months and then that's what the farm called depopulation, which is where they then clear the farm out because um, the, uh, the hens aren't laying enough eggs anymore, uh, which basically means they kill them all and then replace them with new chickens who are going to have a higher egg production rate. So these were the newer chickens. They had only been there for three months, but still there were bodies littered everywhere, um, decomposing as well. So it just shows even the newer hens are still a host of issues within there. And it, it, for a free-range RSPCA assured farm, it wasn't too... It, compared to some other cities, obviously it was, it was bad, but it was reflective of other free-range facilities. There was nothing in there that meant it wasn't free range there was access to outside yes. conditions let's talk mm. let's talk about free range because i think when people okay. buy free range they think they're doing better for the animals by supporting something that's cage free and uh and you went to a free range farm you said there were enclosures anyways so do you think that people of great britain that they want to support these kinds of practices of what you had, what you have exposed this week. Obviously, like there's so there's so many photos. Like even you're saying that the farm cleaned up the dead bodies, but we can see all these photos on the internet, and there's a video as well of what's really going, what's really happening there. And same with the the victims' um, action here in Canada, where we in, uh, infiltrated a, a, a hog farm. There was so much camera footage, live video streams, all like hundreds and hundreds of photos but in the end 
RESPCA said that they were that they were fine and there was nothing there was nothing wrong with the farm. So mm-hmm. when I heard when I heard the story of what happened in the UK, animal advocates here in Vancouver were applauding that the RSPCA had actually taken away their license. But then I, I discovered that by a couple of days later they said no, there's nothing wrong here. We're reenacting the license. But as you have described, there's everything wrong with that facility. They're neglectful. They're abusive. They are, the animals are in terrible, horrible conditions. The RSPCA said that, um, I guess they said that the animals had um, uh, adequate or fine um, feather coverage, but that's not true. So, so what do you want people of Great Britain to know about these places that are defined as free range and even now have a stamp of approval? What what do you want them to know about egg consumption? And I think that veganism is growing and growing in the UK. So I hope that that people of the UK are ready for this message to keep moving forward towards veganism. So what is um, what is your message basically for the people of your country and, and of the world? Because this is spread with regards to free range, free run. Yeah. So what I'd say is this isn't necessarily a welfare issue, and that's what the RSPCA would make it about. So if they find that there's issues in the way that the chickens are kept and they say that they that is the what they care about, uh, I don't think we should focus on that. I think we should focus on the fact that animal, the hens here are being exploited uh, yeah. to the point where they're literally bred into existence just so that we can take their eggs and then when they don't produce enough eggs for us anymore, we kill them. And that is that would meet every welfare standard if that is done in the most perfect barn, if the farmers are given belly rubs, um, if they are organic, it does not matter. That is what will happen. And it is the pure sense of the exploitation which then breeds uh, terrible treatment like what we have videoed. And all free range means is there's a certain amount of space that the chickens get and that they have access to the outside at certain points of the day. It does not mean anything else. Same with organic, it just means what they are fed it, there is no welfare standard which actually gives these animals rights. It does not give them the right to freedom. It does not give them the right to live their lives as they want. As soon as they are born, they are bred into a system which they cannot escape. And seemingly, we have been able to liberate some this time. Mm-hmm. But my message would be that these are sentient beings who want to live their life, as do we. They have families, they care about each other and we force them to do them or we bend them to our will and that's not something that should be allowed on a, any farm whether it's a organic farm or free range this is we would never treat any other humans like this and we, we should never treat any other sentient life like this so my message would be we don't have to eat eggs we don't have to eat animals we don't have to use them for anything we can live without it and if we can do that, why are we not doing that? Why are we not trying in every single way that we can to push towards a world where we don't have to use or harm these animals? We should be living peacefully, and that should always be our aim. So my message would be to strive towards the world which we really want, which is about peace and where everyone can live their life without worry of somebody else abusing them or using them to, their, to whatever they want. I think that's very well said and also I think that just I think that anyone seeing those images whether you know if they eat eggs if they eat meat I think that they wouldn't agree with it and that's what I'm hoping is you know we are moving towards a more compassionate world I think because of investigations like this and open rescues where all this footage is being documented and and the images and the video they don't lie right like People have to know that this is the truth. So when supermarket companies such as Tesco, which sells these eggs from Hodes, proclaim that they are shocked about the terrible conditions that their eggs are coming from and that they are suspending all sales of the eggs until the egg factory is deemed to be proper enough to be back in business is uh, sort of what they said. How do you take these statements? Do you think that these supermarkets have genuine concerns about the welfare of the chickens? Because if they actually did and did the research and and they wouldn't even sell eggs at all as we're talking about, do you you think it's just a token concern to 
make themselves look respectable as well as the token concern expressed by I believe the farm themselves if I'm not mistaken like what was their reaction were they saying like oh we didn't know that this was happening at our farm I can't remember there but um, I'm wondering like what is your perspective on how these companies people who profit off this farm are acting now saying this is shocking like this is terrible we will no longer sell eggs from this facility until the RSPCA gives it the okay um, mm. t- talk to us about that please yeah, well, they're just uh, they're reliant on the system in the way that they are making money. And with any business, especially the size they are, where everything comes down to shareholder interest, they need to make money. And the way they're making money at the moment, in one of their ways, is by using egg farms and selling those eggs. So what they want is to be able to show that they care about animal welfare, because if they are kind of shown to not, then that is really negatively going to impact their sales. Mm-hmm. So you have Tesco, for example, coming out saying things like they're shocked, but these are their top-level egg producers. These are, they, Tesco still sell battery cage hens. They, if they cared about animal welfare, See, why is it that animal rights activists are actually discovering what's actually happening on these farms? Why isn't it Tesco coming out saying, we've discovered yeah. this supply or we're dropping this supply because this happens? That's why a, is that not that's happening? Why, that's why I wonder. That's not, oh, yeah, I was going to say, like, why aren't they doing their own investigations? Because shouldn't they know where their products come from? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, going back to the horse meat sandal, it was only the only supermarket in the UK was M&S. They actually went and audited, and they were one of the only companies that weren't selling these. The supermarkets aren't doing their own investigations. They're relying off of um, standards, which is either Red Lion or RSPCA. And as long as that badges of approval, they have that. They do not care what is happening to the animals because that uh, assurance by the RSPCA or whoever it is is what gets them the sales. Yeah. So that, that's where their focus is, unfortunately. If the animal welfare was at heart, of course, our, the perspective would be um, we wouldn't be using them. But the fact that they're even in these conditions and they're coming out are shocked. Why, why are they shocked? Why is their uh, auditing system of looking down their supply chain so poor that it's taking activists to expose them? Right. So I want to, the reason I have you on the show today, because uh, we were a Canadian show, this happened in the UK, I want to tell our listeners this is everywhere, this is all across North America, we even, we discussed, we've discussed on the show before on how Europe and the UK actually have better animal welfare standards than Canada, but... Uh, from what I saw, doesn't seem to be because I see the exact same images from your investigation as to what I've seen at investigations happening here in our province. So during this occupation this week at Hodes Farm, you and 150 activists, you in, you were intervened upon by the police, as you mentioned, but there were no arrests. You were allowed to do what you were there for. Um, I'm sure you're aware of what's happening in the U.S. and even Canada right now where they are creating bills. There's Bill 156 that's um, in the works of happening, which will basically ban people from entering farm properties to rescue animals or to occupy the farms. It'll be it'll be a legitimate prison time. So what are your perceptions on how tolerant the UK government and perhaps police officers have been to UK activists at this point? And do you have confidence that this will continue until the United Kingdom, as rapidly as its veganism is growing, will come to full strength as a pro-vegan nation? I'm putting that out there for the most positive outcome that could happen what is your thought on that yeah and yeah that's that's quite fair obviously north america the laws around trespass are much harsher the uk relatively on a global scale has quite lax laws where you can literally walk onto farms and demand to release lives and you are listened to and that's something that's a privilege that uh, unfortunately a lot of the world doesn't have especially in north america such as the us and i'm not too sure under canadian laws but if they're similar as you say then there is that issue but what it what you do see is with growing public concern around the use of animals and especially with the growing amount of people not exploiting them and speaking out about it there'll be less and less that the government kind of can do 
to control that because at the moment where they're part of the, the system which is actually um, well where they're actually kind of taking donations from these industries and uh, kind of being funded and they have their own personal interests with their owning farms it is a, it's a big fight and that's what we're seeing at the moment it's the silencing of um, expressing the rights for animals which is specifically know is happening a lot in the US and as veganism grows and as animal rights activism grows that will continue to work in the animals' favour, and that's all we can do at this point. If we don't speak up against these injustices, if we don't expose these industries, then they will continue. The absence of us, uh, of activists doing good things means that evil will flourish, and these industries are really evil, and the government, yeah. uh, unfortunately, is on the side, creating the law which is protecting them. So we need to get out there, we need to be active, even if it's sending out leaflets, we need to raise awareness, we need to do more direct action, we need to show people what is happening to get more public support so we can close down these places and give animals the rights they deserve. Thank you so much, Jake, from Direct Action Everywhere, Brighton, for sharing your experiences today of the occupation and rescue action that took place at an egg factory farm in England this week. And thank you so much for your wise words of wisdom as well. To find out more about DXC Brighton's animal advocacy work, you can find them on Facebook and on Instagram. Thank you so much, Jake, and have a great day. Thanks very much. You too. You've been listening to Animal Voices here on 100.5 FM, Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, unceded Coast Salish Territories. Join us next Friday, February 7th, for some more great content. It's going to be a surprise. We here at Animal Voices want to connect with you online. Visit our website, animalvoices.org, where you can stream past shows and download them as podcasts. You can also see our show blog there with detailed links and subscribe to us on iTunes. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at Animal Voices Vancouver and on Twitter at Animal Voices YVR. We are also currently looking for more volunteers to help with producing and hosting shows, website maintenance, social media, and more. If you have any of these skills or a willingness to learn and you're passionate about animal advocacy, shoot us an email at radioanimalvoices at gmail.com. Now we'll leave you with the song. Yes, and this song is called Two Minutes. It's by Canadian artist Sarah May. Thank you for listening to Animal Voices today, and remember to be kind to the animals.